Today on the Right Ricky Sanchez podcast, I am here, Mike, with no spike. We're spikeless. John Gonzalez is my guest. We're going to talk about the draft coming up. We're going to talk a little free agency. We're going to talk Sixers GM or lack thereof. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a mess. And Spike's going to have to edit it all together. Uh, without further ado, run the jewels. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Okay, welcome to the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Mike Levin, along with my temporary co-host in his apartment in Santa Monica, California, John Gonzalez. Hi, John. Hi, buddy. Thanks for having me. This is one. Thanks for coming to my kitchen to do a Ricky. This is the first ever Ricky live from my kitchen. That's right. Yeah. Your dogs are here. The dogs are here. The cat is here. My wife is not here. She is uh, smartly evacuated the premises. My YouTube big board that Spike handed over to me, uh, bequeathed to me, is here. It's very exciting. It's we're having a fun time. Uh, this will be a mess of a podcast, uh, but we wanted Spike wasn't available, and we wanted to get something out for the week of the draft. Spike wasn't available, so you needed to find the second least prepared person <laughs> yeah, for the draft, absolutely. and you found him. Absolutely. And yeah. here we are. I'm drinking a beer. Yes. Uh, this is nice. It's going to be nice. We're sitting very close. Very close. It's uh, frankly too close for comfort in that you uh, tapped my leg and said, that's not your leg, <laughs> is it? And I said, yes, it is. All right, good. So yeah. that's, that's what we're working with. Uh, obviously, you spend... A lot of time on your show, the Ringer NBA show, Heat Check, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the Sixers, sort of uh, maybe occasionally glancing at them, aj- Sixers adjacent stuff, and you don't yes. want to spend too much time on it because you work at a Boston Celtics-based company. <laughs> uh, but you're here now. You're on the Ricky. I'm on the Ricky. And we're going to do a full hour, two, maybe three hours. That's a lot of hours. On, nonstop on the... Philadelphia 76ers, do you feel freeing? Is it freeing in a way? It's wonderful. Uh, The last time I was on the rookie, we got very drunk with TJ McConnell, and you made me... I I wasn't the hoop. I think I was the... I think I was Ursan. I don't remember, but it, there was a recreation, yeah. so I, it couldn't possibly be more taxing than that. So <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. going to be easy comparatively. That's right. Well, you can fully embrace your Sixersism. Yes. You don't, you don't have to hide anymore. I don't. Your Tatum takes... Are you? I, I left your Tatum takes at your door. So they're gone. I I still feel strongly about Tatum, but I won't. We won't. We don't. No need to revisit that now. No need. Or here. Or so ever again. Ever frankly, ever again. Not, yeah. a, not for a second. By the way, this is a very interesting dynamic because you and I have done stuff in the past. Uh, I've had you on the seven hundred level show yes. several times. R.I.P. Yes. Uh, you have been on Heat Check. It's always me leading and interviewing you, and That's now right. the rules have been reversed, and I don't know how I feel about it. Well, I'll tell you how you feel about it. You feel nervous because. I'm not nearly as prepared as you are. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a host. All right. You've, you've told me in the past that I give, uh, when we were on television, I give podcast answers for television. They were wonderful. I want you to take your television answers and turn them into podcast answers because we're going to go for a while. Okay. It's going to be loose. <laughs> All right. I'm going to at some point ask you to get the beer you don't want to drink because you're writing tonight. Yes. Uh, but we're here. How do you feel about the draft? Are you excited about it? 
I am excited that it's the off season. You asked me when you came in uh, how I feel about things, and I'm happy. I love. It's the problem for people who love basketball but also cover basketball is that it's very long. Mm. It's a very long season. I was on the road for the better part of the last two months, which is the great. It beats having a real job. I want to make that very clear. I have an amazing job. I love my job. It's just nice to be home in my bed. Uh, so I'm excited about the draft in that I don't have to go to it. Yeah. It's going to be nice. Did you, but you've covered the draft in the past. I have many times for uh, Comcast Sportsnet now, NBC Sports Philadelphia, and before that, The Inquirer. And yeah, I, I think that this year, though, uh, and, and this is perfect that I'm filling the spike role because in years past, I was very invested in the draft mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time on YouTube deep dives mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of time focusing on, you know, foreign born players and drafts and sash and talking to to GMs about, well, specifically one GM, about what they were looking to do because I was covering one team. Mm-hmm. The NBA's day doesn't stop. There's no time for that. I don't know. I, I know a couple of these names and, and you know, needs of teams, uh, but it's it's difficult to focus on, uh, you know, my, my fifth guy on my European prospect list sure. when I've got NBA we'll, free agency coming up. We'll get to Zanon Musa. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. I loved your uh, rookie with the, the scout. It was excellent. Yeah, Very yeah. informative. That's great. Go back and listen to that one if I you did. want to listen to more draft takes than this one. My question to you is, um, because you've been in the trenches, you've been mm. in the... Deep trenches. Uh, in the, like, conversations on background. Yes. Right? With, with GMs, which people in the front office, with scouts, with coaches, etc. So, like... What's it like now? What are they? What are the? There's a lot of reports of who likes who, of 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 who doesn't like who, who's trying to trade up. Like, what do all these things mean, and how much how much stock do you put into them this week? And like, how much of it is bullshit? It's a really interesting time because of that. Because there are people that you talk to all year long. Uh, you see them at different events, right? Like uh, if you're at Sloan, or if you are at the playoffs, or you know, most recently at the finals. Uh, so there are people, certain people that you trust and you believe, and then even then, now you're like, hmm, I wonder if that person is just trying to blow smoke yeah. uh, to, you know, get prospects to move or yeah. to, you know, throw a fake at another executive or because an agent is representing a player that they want to move up the board. And that's a, specifically a very crucial time for players. Like, I went and spent uh, a full day with Mo Bamba uh, a few weeks ago. You can read that on the ringer.com, shameless plug. Wow. But... That like there's a bunch of prospects who do that now, right? Like you see this time post college season wrapping up, right before the draft, where there's like a few months where players are working on their body, working on their game. They're uh, getting specific help for certain aspects of things. So mm-hmm. there's so many things in flux that uh, it's hard to know what's truth and what's not. And I think more times than not, you know, big boards get blown to hell. A trade happens, and everybody goes, "Shit, we didn't know anything." You you hear people like oh Kevin Knox's stock is rising or Michael Porter Jr. I hear rising. you say that yeah I've said it and that's that's my number one draft source is yeah, the rookie oh, oh, and Kevin Knox okay it's yeah. coming from us yeah. uh, but it's like these guys are rising these guys falling mm-hmm. whatever like how much of it is would you say uh, empty gym videos against chairs yeah or five eleven white guys or like teams finally meeting these guys and having conversations with them in their own gym and saying like well what Asking the questions that we want to ask, or finding out about work ethic, like what what do you what would you say that is, or is it just again all bullshit? No, I think a lot. I mean, 
look, you want to see improvement on the 5'11 white guys. If they can't score on the 5'11 white guys, that's no good. Shouts to Drew Hanlon, by the way. He does wonderful work. Uh, we'll get to Drew. We'll get to he's Drew. worked with uh, Embiid and my guy Jason Tatum and uh, okay. Brad Beal and a bunch of people. Um, but beyond that, yeah, like, you know, you want to talk to somebody and get a sense of who that person is and whether or not you think that they would fit into your culture. You hear Brett talk about culture all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That part's not bullshit. Yeah. Like, when you have a guy like Brett who when he came in from day one and talked about the Spurs and the model that they built uh, and how he wanted to build a similar culture with the Sixers, that's real. Like, so I think, you know, personality matters. And then beyond that, you've got a uh, skill set. And then beyond that, you've got how healthy is that person, right? And I think all the stuff you hear, hear about Michael Porter Jr. and his medicals and, 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 and he hasn't played and yet he's rising, that to me smells like smoke and bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like where you're like, okay, that doesn't add up. Why is he rising if we haven't seen him play? We have seen uh, like a lot of questions about his health. That's where I would go. Mm, that doesn't quite make sense to me. Yeah. The, que- the question stuff is interesting when it's like, oh, we get to know who these guys are. Mm-hmm. But like, wouldn't you say that all this information is public, right? Not all the questions and stuff, but all the information of like what teams are looking for out of a guy is public. So couldn't couldn't they just pretend for like three weeks during the draft process and be like, even if I'm a shithead or even if I'm like really boring, can I just give all the answers that I'm supposed to give? Like when there's the, what's the like personality version of like making shots on a chair? I like in the in the draft. Process. I think that's harder to fake. Really? Because, I mean, ultimately we're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Like, how good an actor are you? Sure. Right? And then beyond that, a lot of the times teams will throw crazy questions at you. Or a couple of years ago, I think, I, I can't remember if it was Embiid's first redshirt season or his second. So long ago, I've already deleted it. But we, we were in Chicago, and Hinky and Bre- Brett Brown brought Joel with them. And had him in asking questions. Like, how do you really prepare for that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he was asking questions at the Combine, and... You know, people were trying to respond to that. So I don't know. I think like if you're super Machiavellian and like you're uh, devious, yeah, a sociopath. I guess you could fake a new personality. Right. That's (laughs) why I feel like I'd be good at that. You'd be excellent at it. Yeah. Yeah. You've you've created a whole podcast community. That's right. I'm nothing like this (laughs) in real life. That's interesting. Yeah. You're also not Hollis Thompson. Well, to to, right now. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting because I, I don't know how. Because when I go in to meet, I guess I'm a little bit older. When I, when I go to meet with like TV shows, I'm trying to like get staffed on that show. You know, even if I don't like the show, you say you like the show. Like you say, you pick yeah. out points of the show that you like, and you like say, "Oh, I'd be excited to talk about this." And so, if you're a draft prospect and you're going to meet with like Atlanta, and you want to get drafted, you're there, like, "I totally want to go to Atlanta." Oh, I love it. Lloyd yeah. Pierce, great. Uh, like fun pace team's and space. terrible, but Atlanta, guys- fun. It's exactly where I want to live. I was excited about like you're on the come up. I mean, Dennis Prince. Schroeder, absolutely. <laughs> Can you do? That? Isn't that just so easy to do? Like how how hard is it? Maybe to... you're right. Maybe all of a sudden everybody's a fake. I think that like there's a level, there's a degree to it though, right? There's that you're going to put on a certain interview voice and a certain interview approach mm-hmm. where you're going to say, okay, I I know all the right things to say here. Yeah. But ultimately, like if you and I are talking and and I'm sitting down, uh, I could. I think get a sense of, as I'm talking to you of like whether there's a mind at work, whether you've studied. Sorry, I've already is, ruled is that? that out completely. <laughs> Comple- I mean, like when we were setting this up, we we're like, how do we get this machine to work? Yeah. Uh, so, so I, hopefully the audio is going to be amazing on it. Um, <laughs> but no, I think you get a sense sometimes of um, like what people are about and who mm-hmm. they are, and like there's only so much I think that you could ultimately fake. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing would be you. 
people should know not to be like, I'm the best. I got nothing to work on. I'm already the best player in this draft, and there's there's every I'm a perfectionist, like that kind of thing. Like Marvin Bagley, who doesn't play defense, said, right. I'm a good defender, like I'm great at it. And I don't and I have stuff to learn, but do I need I'm like I'm already great. And it's like But you're not. But you're <laughs> but you're <laughs> but everyone says Objectively you're not. not. Objectively not. But so that's a good example, right? Of like even if you try to fake it, they'd be like, nah, calling bullshit on that, right? Like yeah. I think athletes um we see athletes all the time say things where, like, that is provably untrue yeah. or provably stupid, right? Mm. Like, demonstrably idiotic. Like, we don't agree with that. I can't believe you said that. So mm. even, like, the most practice-prepared people, I think, would, like, like you said, uh, I'm really good at defense. Like, be like Jaleel Okafor saying, I'm great at defense. And I'm like, nobody's ever seen you play it. It's never happened. You'll be out of the league next year. Yeah. It's tough because I – when you look at – Everybody's bored, and you talk. You look at these guys. Everybody's talented. All these players have abilities that you're excited about. That you're like, well, if this develops, then maybe something. Then if, if this guy can work on his defense, or if this guy can work on his jump shot, or if this guy can develop a handle that where he can become a scorer. Like, how do you gauge, or how do you get the impression that that front offices gauge what skills will improve versus what skills won't? Because MCW right never learned a jump shot. Yeah, and remember like. When Sam took him, we asked him, we were like, hey, this whole shot thing is a problem. And he said, it's going to improve by him spending a whole lot of time in a gym by himself just like this. And that never happened, yeah. right? Like, he was hopeful. And I think, like, sometimes we th- – I, I, th- I guess I the part of the premise that I take umbrage with is the idea that, like, all of these guys are good basketball players and, like, we all, like – look half glass full because for this I have a a ringer story coming out later this week where I went back just for my own fun purposes I did this at the draft where I went back and ranked the last 10 drafts or uh, at the trade deadline where I went back and ranked the last 10 trade deadlines and I'm doing it again for the draft the last 10 drafts what I found is like we go into a draft and we're super excited about all these players, right? Yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah you're, I listen to the rookie and you have a, they're all going to be good. But when you go back and look, it's like a handful of guys, a handful who you're like, oh, they're good. Yeah. And they're the like, top tier NBA players. And then mm-hmm. there's like a smaller handful of guys who are like, they have NBA careers. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a bunch of dudes who were not that good to terrible to way big misses, right? Mm-hmm. So, there's 60 players that are going to be taken, and how many of those are actually going to be valuable? Not that many. Until next year, where there's, or in a couple years, when there's. When they expand the draft. Players. I heard Danny talking about that on the last rookie, and as the second ringer staffer in a row, I'd like to <laughs> underline and second his sentiment about no thank you. What a trash website. <laughs> None of us want to do It's more a lot players, of work. I got to do more work. More contracts. You're going to be covering G League tra- tra- championships soon. <laughs> That's who you're going to be covering. I'm all about that. Uh, all right, well, that leads us to. The question of who will be making the decisions for the our Philadelphia 76ers yes. in this draft class. Uh, how do you feel about it? The Sixers don't have a GM. Brett Brown is begrudgingly or maybe not begrudgingly taking the reins there. Everly, Eversley's around. Elton right. Brand's kicking around. You've is got- Tony DeLeo still in a, in a position of power? <laughs> no, but I have frequently seen him in the media lunchroom. Uh, like years afterwards, yeah, I, I didn't maybe never told you this, but you he, he was scouting for the Wizards for a while and might still be, I don't know. After uh, his time with the after Sixers. After his time with the Sixers. Okay. So frequently, because, you know, scouts can be based wherever, mm-hmm. was just based in Philly and like would be in the media lunchroom eating dinner with us, hanging out. 
being Tony DeLeo. Being Tony DeLeo. Um, but I like him and his family, and I, sure. I wish them nothing uh, but the best. But like you said, uh, Mark Eversley, you've got um, Elton Brand setting up some stuff. Ned Cohen, mm-hmm. who was a, a main lieutenant for Brian Colangelo and used to work for the league office. Ned's a really smart guy. Mm-hmm. I wonder, though, about... Like you said, who's? It feels like a lot of people are involved, mm-hmm. which makes it feel like nobody's involved. Right. Like ultimately, whose call is it? When it comes down to it, like who's going to decide yay or nay? Like if there's a disagreement in the room, who's, who decides yay or nay? And most times, like it's the owner, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, like in previous situations, ultimate like the owners are always going to have to sign off on everything. But they've empowered a guy like a Brian Colangelo or previously a Sam Hankey to make these decisions, and the, like. 99 times out of 100, they're not going to veto that. Yeah. With this, and I think, like, generally you try to come with your front office to a consensus where everybody feels good about it. Mm-hmm. But if there has to be an ultimate decision, who is it? And I don't know, and I don't know that they know. What do you hear about the Scott O'Neill staff, or what do you think about it? That he's, he's leaving or not leaving? Oh. Uh, he's, he's empowered by the owners, or he's on the way out? What do you think? I hear what I see him responding to, <laughs> to the other Eskin one, and I love Howard. Howard is my my favorite. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think that, you know, Scott's been there for a while, and they brought him in to do the job that Adam Aaron couldn't do. Right. And he did it gamely, and he is tethered to two parts of their organization and not one, which makes me hesitant to believe it. Two parts as in the... As in the devils. Oh, um, okay, okay. Like, he's tied into that ownership group in two ways. Yeah. So, saying... If you were just going to look at it and go, okay, he's going to move to Utah and go work for the Jazz. If he was just the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers, I'd go maybe. But he's got two gigs right now, and that makes it more difficult to untether himself, I think. And Utah does not have a hockey team. No hockey team. Okay. Right? That was a genuine question. (laughs) You and I are not. The Wild? The, uh, this is, no, that's Minnesota. But could be wild. It's pretty close to Utah. Similar colors. They probably just adopt them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you do you get the impression that they're not going to hire Hot, GM until hockey talk? That's right. That's the it's most really they're going to do. Yeah. They're, they're not going to hire GM until after free agency, right? So, it's my understanding uh, that they're. It doesn't feel like. Let me put it this way. It doesn't feel like there's a huge rush right now. Mm-hmm. Could you name all seventy-five candidates that they interviewed last? I think like, they did opening? seventy-six, just to one up from the last one. Okay, well, um, well, it's on brand. This 76. time, though, no Colangelo. So, uh, but Elton Brand is there. I I get the sense from asking around that they aren't. This is not in full swing at the mm-hmm. moment, and I think that there's obvious reasons for that. Uh, is is the obvious reason like mostly they don't want? There's too much heat. They don't want. They want it to die down. They want to take their time. Last year, last time that they filled this spot, they filled it in 36 hours by, by a relative. Um, that didn't. That could be. Uh-huh. Uh, no, the obvious reason I think is that this is a really bad time to be searching for a GM, right? And they're, they're kind of screwed on this. Like yeah. you have a t- like no real like all the candidates that you've heard or the candidates that I've talked about on the heat check where you, like people have talked about David Griffin. He's talking about the Sixers breaking news on and, and I know you don't like him, but people do talk like a lot of people in the league talk about David For Griffin. For sure, but him breaking the news means like he's not going right. to take the job. Right. right? But That's then a weird thing to do. People talk about Mike Zarin. Right. Um, people talk about a lot of candidates who you'd go, "Oh, this makes sense," right? The the problem is nobody that you're hearing uh, with the exception of David Griffin cuz he's immediately available. Nobody who's currently employed is going to leave their team 
two or three days before the draft and a week and change before free agency and be like, I'm going to go spearhead a brand new organization and get my crew together that quickly. It's just not going to happen. Okay. So trying to identify a candidate, interview a candidate, and then hire a candidate, and then empower a candidate right now, good fucking luck, man. Yeah. Like, well, it's at, next to impossible. At this point, it's... It's over. Like it's yeah, not it's not before. happening. But but we've had a couple of weeks since Burnergate, and it would have if been they really wanted tough. to jump it, yeah, the timetable would have been really, really, really difficult. Frankly, the ringer screwed. Sure. I mean, like yeah. Ben. Do you ben, take responsibility? Of ben, that at all? no, I take. I knew nothing about this. I take no responsibility. I will, however, say like just doing quality reporting screwed the Sixers, and these things happen. But uh, I think, in a weird way, even though I, I have questions about how they're going to handle the draft and free agency and decision making and like. Like what the hierarchy looks like, mm-hmm. I think it makes sense not to rush it and just go. Look, if we're gonna talk to the smart assistants around the league and the guys who are the next Hinkies or uh, you know the Zarens of the world, then we're gonna have to wait because we're not gonna get those guys right now. But isn't it weird? Like, so if you're say you're Mike Zarin or you're Gershon Rosas right. or you're, or, or any of the guys Rosas. at Utah or San Antonio, whatever, or you're Trajan Langdon or something, like. And you know, in the back, you know in the back of your mind... Shane Battier. Right. You know in the back of your mind, I kind of want to go be the GM of the Sixers team that's incredibly loaded. Uh-huh. And you're still you're working under somebody. Do you have a little bit of, like, senioritis of, like, I'm out of here anyway? Or do you have a sense of... Because you're going to the draft and free agency. You're working hard. This is a tough time of year for all these people. Like, they are. this is the hardest they work. Yeah. Is, is there a sense of, like, oh, I kind of don't want... You know, if you're, say, Gershon Rosas, let's say him as an example. I don't want Houston to draft this guy in the second round because I want to sort of save him for undrafted free agency when I'm on the Sixers and I want to try to grab him or something. I, I guess that goes to uh, personality, right? Right, Like morality and mm-hmm. like how you look at these things. And I think a lot of these guys um, are really invested with their team, right? Like there's, for as much time as we talk about, uh, Rosas or, or Zarin, like they're really invested. Like obviously, they really want to work for the guys they work for. Mm-hmm. And if a new opportunity came along, it would have to be a good opportunity, and right. then they'd have to think about it. So I think I don't think that they. That would be a really like. You'd have to know that you could get a job that you haven't even interviewed for. So I don't know how like you do the math on that. Yeah, but there always seems to be like. You're very. What I've learned. Stuff, I right know now. you very well. I think. Okay. And. Um, I learn new things about you right now where I'm like, you're scheming for scheming. a job that you don't even have. I'm pretty scheming. Really amazing. I'm scheming in a way. Because <laughs> I know I'm, I'm so ready to like check out at any point in time. <laughs> and so I'm imagining like, when are these people checking out? If new Ricky, if there's a new Ricky out there one day, you're going to sell old Gone. Ricky out. You're Gone. out the door. You're out. in your ringer podcasts. Hiring you away. By the way, this is it. Spike's gone. He's not here right now. <laughs> it's me and you and your dogs in your kitchen. It's fantastic. We've got a new Ricky. Uh, all right. So... My question. All right, so just a second, because yes. I don't think we did. We'll take, we'll hit pause in the draft for a second, and okay. just we've had it's been a couple podcasts since we addressed the Colangelo Burner situation, and I just wanted to get sure your read on it. How how does it reflect on what we've been through? Where does this rank among all of the crazy things that's ha- that that have happened since the Sixers ownership group took over? I mean, it's sort of we as a society get. Uh, Desensitized to a situation very quickly, sure. In all in all, in all forms, uh, whether it's entertainment or political or whatever, and this, we everyone's sort of been like, ah, we've made all the jokes and they're gone now. Twitter mm-hmm. sort of like accelerates that, right? But a 
lifetime employee of the NBA. Yeah. With Got deep family connections. With very deep family connections. Yeah. The sh- possibly the shadiest family in NBA history. Got fired. Yeah. Because he slash his wife slash whatever made burner accounts to defend himself <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> and leaked news that shouldn't have been leaked, right. information, all that stuff. And now and now it's just gone and we're, we've moved on. But... What's, what happened? What, it was, what the fuck? So, all right. So a little behind the scenes. Uh, I had just gotten to Oakland. Uh, the media hotel was in San Francisco. But I, I had just gotten to the Bay Area to start the finals. And I had filed the story. And Chris Ryan, who does a zillion things at The Ringer and also happens to be my editor, called me. And you never want to see that because you're like, well, that's not good. Like, the piece is all fucked up. It turns out, though, he was telling me about another piece. He said, hey, this is going to go up in two hours. I just want you to be aware of it. Oh, so you didn't I know. I had no idea. You I was, no idea. You've been operating was, the last three or four months when Diedrich's known this, Chris has known this, and you haven't known anything. It was a, it was a surprise to everybody at the Ringer Save, a very small group. Obviously, Bill, uh, Sean Fennessy, Chris Ryan, and a handful of other need-to-know people. This yeah. was as close hold as you could possibly get. I got a call and a heads up because it was, hey, uh, you've covered the Sixers. You talk to people with the Sixers still. You're at the league finals. want to make you aware of it in case you hear some stuff and, you know, let's all talk. I said, great. He way undersold it. (laughs) I had no idea. I called him back immediately. I was like, this is amazing. You didn't tell me about this? I can't believe you didn't tell me. Ben absolutely killed it. And it was, like, without question, like, when you're at the NBA finals in the same way that All-Star Weekend and – the Combine and Sloan Conference are about networking. Mm-hmm. Um, like, mostly, like, you just see people, right? Like, people around the league who, like, they're not playing in the finals, so they're talking. The number one topic was the burner account. Yeah. I mean, LeBron literally made a joke about it at the podium during the finals. Yeah. That's how big it was. Um, it was crazy. It was bananas. And I think, like, for Brian Colangelo who was brought in under the auspices of he's going to be everything that Sam Hinkie was, and it was going to bring transparency to the organization. He was going to build relationships. I was told, literally when Sam went, I was told by another executive that I've talked to for years, you're going to love Brian Colangelo. He's going to be great for the media. And, it's good. and he wasn't. And he was the opposite. And I always found that curious because, and I've said this a zillion times to you, I've said it on my podcast, I've written it. Everybody who said Sam wasn't good to the media or didn't talk was wrong. Mm-hmm. Sam always talked. He just didn't talk on the record. Yep. Brian was the opposite. Sam, Brian literally came in and disappeared. Mm-hmm. And he was everything that he wasn't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so for this whole thing to happen, I will say it was in keeping with what I knew of the man. That he was very sensitive about his legacy, about how he got the job, about his position in Philadelphia, and getting credit for things and not getting blamed for others. And it, it's... Not surprising that he wanted or was party to something that would pump him up. It was, however, surprising the vehicle that was the delivery system for that. Yes. if It was wildly surprising in the least surprising yeah. way. Yeah. Or no, it was unsurprising in the most surprising way. One of those. One of those. One of those is absolutely true. And it's just like, it's also kind of crazy because like, I work at a place that toppled an NBA general manager. And it happens to be the team that I've covered 
the most and I know the most and that I'm most invested in because of where I come from. Mm-hmm. And then I, I like to the extent that I still root for anything that I root for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bizarre. Like and and beyond that, like it just it's Ben did such a good job with the reporting and Chris did such a good job forming that piece that like it's one of those things where you go, you know, I'm proud to work at a place that like did really good work and didn't draw a conclusion and let the facts speak for themselves. We're going to have Ben Dietrich on later in the summer because to talk about this and because he gave a really boring podcast with Chris Ryan where they said nothing because they had to be like they were hemmed in by whatever bullshit. So we'll we'll get to the bottom of it with Ben later in the summer. Uh, what is your read? And we'll get back to the GM stuff, but I, I just find this interesting. Mm-hmm. What is your read on why the source reached out to Ben specifically? He DM'd me asking for Ben's email. Right. Uh, when it's widely known, if you know Ben, before this, that he's been very anti-Colangelo. And as you answer that, I'm going to go to your fridge and I'm going to get another beer. <laughs> okay. Uh, you did bring them. They're your beers. I think, so a couple of things here. Um, one, I think, yeah, the, the, I don't, I have, I want to be very, very clear here. I have zero idea who the source was. I have no idea if we'll ever find out who the source was. I don't even know if Ben and Chris know who the source is. Um, I don't think they do. I have no idea. I do know, though, that like this, obviously, the source identified Ben as a kindred spirit and said, hey, this person might want to run with it, and he's written some national stuff. Uh, he's hooked up with The Ringer and, and go from there. Um, I know that when I wrote last year the piece about the secret messages all over um, Oh, right. You did facility, write that one. That was you. I did not know that person before they reached out to me. But now we, we kind of do now. And I do know that person now very well. And I was skeptical at first because you get somebody reaches out to you, uh, and so you don't know that person, and they're offering information. And so, like any good journalist would be like, okay, grain of salt here. Mm -hmm. The difference for me was uh, my guy had the receipts. Mm -hmm. He sent me a shit ton of pictures, and I'm like, well, that's real. And we put them on the website, and that was very easy. Ben had to do If someone sent Ben a picture of Colangelo (laughs) tweeting those (laughs) things. From an account that said Eric Eric Jr. t-shirt with a very high collar. Big glasses, everything. Giant collar. That was him. Yep, he did it. Uh, Ben had to do, though, much more reporting. So it took a lot longer. So that was one difference, and I think that that was very impressive. Uh, But beyond that, like, I think that – like you look at it and you go, like if you're the source, you, like where can I get somebody to lay out the case that's a smart person and been certain, certainly qualified for, the, for that. I will say, however, that in that period where we were all waiting for the boom to drop, mm-hmm. after, the, after the story had come out, yeah. and while we were waiting for the boom to drop, and you guys were exasperated, and I was on the media bus with listening to the Ricky and Sharp is sitting next to me. And I was like, that, I don't know. Right now they're talking about buying all the billboards and like selling their season tickets. And like it's reached a point of critical mass. Part of the delay was the Sixers initially, while they were doing their investigation, were considering all possibilities uh, and worried – or not worried, but considering all possibilities, one of which was – you know, this was some massive conspiracy that yeah, involved they, Ben. They wanted to really believe that this was all fake. Right, because Ben has been very, very vocal about his distaste of Brian Colangelo. Sure. Uh, now, as and, I and said... And Jerry. As well. as I, right, and, and Jerry. As I said at the time, and I have repeated multiple times now, Ben is a good... Yes, he has those opinions, mm-hmm. but he's also a journalist. And those two things can be separated. I do it all the time. 
Um, I, do, I don't. I know you don't. But also, we work at the Ringer, and I like I have the utmost faith in the fail safes there. Yeah. Like Chris Ryan is an unbelievable editor. I've worked with a ton of editors. Sure. One of the best I've ever worked with. Sean Fantasy is one of the best editors I've ever worked with. They're super smart dudes, and there was no way they were gonna just let this thing no. go out if they had even a scintilla of doubt that Ben was cooking it. And of course, he wasn't. Could you imagine somebody just like watching like? D3 basketball and, and over the course of two years and tweeting about it under the auspices of, um, they're going to know that I'm going to watch this game, I'm going to throw off a couple tweets about his teammates, and then in a couple years, I'm going to get them. It would have been the longest con of long cons, like the slowest burn oh, ever. Yeah. Like, really, you would have to, one, you'd have to dedicate yourself to this ruse, but two, what else would you have going on in your life? Like, you, it would pretty much be, you'd have to have nothing going on in your life. Yeah, oh, that'd be exciting. Uh, all right, back to the, back to the GM stuff uh, because it, that is really fun to talk about. As yeah. much as as much as it, you know, it's the it's just the craziest story. It's crazy. Uh, it's, it's the most human story in sports history. It was the craziest story of the NBA season, and it it trumped Kawhi and Fultz. It trumped Kawhi. It trumped Fultz, and it Jr. Tr- throwing soup. It trumped Jr. throwing soup. It trumped. The finals at the finals. Yeah. Like everybody, the Warriors and the Cavs were talking about this during the finals. I mean, yeah. that right there, I think, says a ton. Uh, John, you have a close, or as close as uh, members of the media can get, relationship with one Sam Hinkie. Uh, you wrote one, piece, one feature on him or more than one? I've written a ton about him, but I wrote one with piece him. recently with, with, his, with his consent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've quoted him in the past, but this sure. one took years to happen. Yes, this yes. was a, this was the Sam Hinkie feature yeah. by Jonathan Gonzalez. Yes, uh, was he at the finals? I did not see him at the finals. Not even in the media. Uh, meal he, room. Might, he might have been. Uh, if he was, I did not see him. I was also, you know, head down and facing a computer for sure. Um, and sometimes with your credential out. Sometimes with my credential, I almost lost my credential. I almost had my credential revoked for accidentally putting it on social media. Right. Credential disasters for me. Uh, I didn't see him. I've seen him in, at the playoffs the last couple of years, but I didn't see him this year. Uh, what are the odds of him considering the idea of returning to Philadelphia? This is without having asked sure, him. Sure, this sure, is sure. complete and total speculation. Because when you talked to him, it was you, you wanted to know, will you ever come back to the NBA? To the will NBA. you ever run a league, another team? Has he gotten offers? Those kinds of things. I think... I'll filter this answer through what I already know and what I've already reported and what I've already like had long conversations with Sam about. Mm-hmm. It has to be the right situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have to be, you know, he said that he would consider coming back without having to run his own place if it was, which guys do I get to work with? As we've mentioned many times, he's very close with Ben Falk and Sachin Gupta. Um, and that was part of the interest for him, like running his shop because he really likes those guys. They remain friends. And similarly, like whatever he does next, he's gonna want to work with people of like mind, smart people, people who you know have his same value system. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a long way of saying I think he thought he had that the first time around, and then the Colangelo coup happened, and he realized he didn't. And I would, I personally would be very surprised if he would entertain going back. And that's just because. You know, he tried that, and it didn't work out, and he thought he had something really good, and it turned out that it wasn't what they told him it was going to be. How much do you think he blames ownership specifically versus the league versus Jerry Colangelo? He can't blame 
Brian because Brian wasn't there when he was there. I don't know. I, I, I do know that when they first brought Jerry in, I had a conversation with Sam at the old PCOM facility. Mm-hmm. And it was a very frank conversation. This is what, I ta- what I'm saying about like, I, and I don't think I'm betraying anything that was off the record. Uh, but I, like, I had a very frank conversation with Sam, and like, this is the kind of thing you could do with Sam, where you could just like stand there after yeah. a practice on a random day, after they brought in Jerry Colangelo, and have a very open conversation about it. Yeah, I had lunch with Sam outside in the, at the Chipotle right outside that old pecan facility. It's a great Chipotle. It's a favorite favorite Chipotle. There's a Starbucks right there. Um, but I had this conversation with him where I was like, "Hey, you know, this has got to bother you. This has got to piss you off." And in typical Sam fashion, and this was like very early on. This was like pre Brian. Mm-hmm. Jerry had just been brought in. Ish Smith trade around that time. Uh, yeah, and it was no, actually, like he was very optimistic about it in so, a way. So was I. Like I personally would not have been. Yeah. I would have been like, "This is fucked up." Spike was not. I right. I was like, "This." is not good like what are you guys doing you told me to to start this whole process for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term and now you are kowtowing to public pressure to leak pressure because of optics and Mm -hmm. this is bullshit and this is not what you told me that was not what sam said he said actually let's think about this from like a value standpoint i don't you think and he put it in a very sam way but Mm -hmm. he said like you know, a guy with, um, like, from a different generation who's got completely different contacts with than I do, who has a completely different way of viewing and valuing basketball players. Like, don't you think that that could potentially be hugely valuable for me and for us yeah. when I'm coming at it from a completely different perspective? If, and if we can get those two things to mesh, like, think about what we'll have here. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, like, a really mature way to, to think about things, right? Yeah. And Sam and I are the same age. And I'm like... Are you really, is he really? Yeah. Uh, were they, actually, I think I'm a year older than him. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I. You look much better. That's not true. He's a very handsome man. Uh, but I will say that. I don't know if the baldness is working. I like it. He's streamlined. He looks very good. Um, but I, I said to him, I was like, that's a very mature way to look at this. And I would not look at it that way. No, no. I would have been like, this is fucked up. No. And it turns out it was fucked up. Yeah. But he gave it a good shot. And I think. When you do him one Colangelo, he's going to look at it like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. This is good because that's Sam. You do him two Colangelos, yeah. the double Colangelo is where you got to drop a manifesto on your GTFO. Colangelo me once. Right. Shame on Shame you. On you. Colangelo me twice. I'm out of here. That's right. That's uh, the old saying. That's interesting. I don't I don't think he's coming back either. I don't. Who, who's Not to who's, the Sixers. Who's less likely to entertain it? The owners or Sam? Yes. Okay. I just don't see how you do it again after everything that happened. Yeah. Um, too much baggage, too much other And then beyond that, like, like just from a very broad NBA perspective, like, so you saw him, Sam, doing consulting work, right? I, I reported that in my piece that he's... Denver. So he, that's a football team. Not right. in the NBA, as it turns <laughs> out. In in the piece, I couldn't really talk about, like, which teams he had consulted with because he wouldn't even tell me, but then right. certain things leak out. So... He wants to do something next that's big, but he also said, like, the chance of him getting back just into the NBA, like, there's a chance that he won't. And it's like it's not a 0% chance that he just won't go back into the NBA because it has to be the right fit. Right. It has to be with the people that he wants to, to work with uh, and work for. And it doesn't necessarily have to be his own kingdom, but it mm-hmm. has to be something that he finds interesting and challenging and new and that he would throw himself into wholeheartedly. So... Like, yeah. I mean, there's a world where Sam Hinkie doesn't get back into the NBA, and that would fucking suck because I want to see him take another crack at this. Yeah. And I want to see him get an actual 
ownership group that's going to be like, we're going to give you a legitimate chance. And if there is any potential blowback about optics, we're not going to bow to that pressure. Which the Sixers ownership didn't for a while. But then did in a really terrible but way. And it's shocking to me, frankly. Like, I give Josh Harris and David Blitzer full marks for being business, private equity titans, right? They've built an entire kingdom on finding advantages in the margins. Yeah. And then they apply Exploiting poor people. Finding advantages in the margins. And then they go and apply a similar model to the basketball, which was very smart and which you and Spike and all the Ricky listeners threw themselves into because it made sense from an academic standpoint. Totally. And then when they had a fucking hot light put on them by the NBA about tanking and what are you doing, they immediately buckle and throw in one Colangelo and then another. It's just shocking to me that... I thought the business acumen had translated, and it clearly didn't. Because mm-hmm. it's a different, it's a much, much different world. Sports is not business, even though we like to pretend it is. Yeah. How much do you think you know? I'm not not that you have this information, but how much do you think like being a consultant like pays? What kind of mon- <laughs> what kind of money is that? Sam is not because like we have a con- we have a legal consultant on trial and error, which comes out on NBC July 19th. Uh, all of season, season one is season available. Season two is very excited. Season two is excited. Kristen Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth. The trailer just dropped. Blah blah blah. So we have a legal consultant, but like he's on retainer. We can call him whenever and mm-hmm. ask him a question. But like it's not a ton of work for him, and it doesn't pay that well uh, because he answers the phone like once every two weeks and he whatever. Uh, what like. No what idea. is consulting? What does he mean consulting? Is he like is it like I'll shoot him a text and be like, hey, what about is Demarcus Ware still have it? Like what, what is what is that? Uh, no idea. Um, it's a weird part about sports that we know everything the players make, right? Yeah. Like down to the cent, you can look yeah. it up. It's freely available. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just always, especially in the NBA. We know very little often about what executives are making, mm-hmm. and we know even less about like those people who fall into the gray area between, like, say, a president or and a coach, right. like the scouts, the assistants, or the like analytics the, department, right? Even like the golden parachute parade of the six of Sixers contracts that were given out. Doug Collins was consulting on the right. team for a while. What was what, what was he making for that? Rob I have no Thorne, idea. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Why is that? Why do you think we don't know about that? Why is it because the people in power want to stay in power, like sort of shadily, or or is it like I I don't know? I I think that there's probably any number of reasons that you could guess or speculate on why that is. Um, But yeah, I mean, with the consult, who knows what a consultant makes? I think that smart people around not just the NBA but also the NFL, evidently value other smart people and Sam is one of the sure. smartest people I know so he's going to get work if he wants it we're now how, when, when did you write that article February it was right after the Sloan conference okay so four months since then mm, yeah sure math uh, then you said you think he comes back at some point into the NBA I said I didn't know I hope he does how do you feel now I don't know I hope he does okay. from like a very selfish standpoint yeah um, just because I like I genuinely like Sam as a yeah. human in the same way I genuinely like Brett as a human. Yeah. So it, this is one part where it is hard for me to divorce myself from just being like an objective reporter. I want him to do well. Like he's a nice human. He's doing fine. I want him to do well in the NBA. I sure. want him to get back in and get a shot. I don't know that it matters as much to him as it does to you and right. Spike and the Ricky listeners and all the people who have lionized him and me. Mm-hmm. Like I want Sam to have Sam's revenge. Like to go back in there and like show them 
what you already showed them that like everything that you said was going to work with the Sixers is working, the we were right stuff, and mm-hmm. now you can do it again somewhere else because it's not about ultimate conclusion in like like the the provincial sports Philadelphia media that would go well they still haven't won anything well no it's not about that that that's like saying the Houston Rockets haven't been successful because they haven't won anything even though this has been under Maury the most successful by wins era of Houston Rockets basketball it's just about how do you make smart decisions and what do you value? And I'll ride with those people every day. And I'd like to see Sam get another shot for that reason. Yeah. All right. After this break, where we've uh, already recorded a commercial that John won't have to be here for. Huzzah. Uh, I, wait, actually, I wanted to be part of the Cornblow commercial. I don't know if it's a corn. I forget it's which It's not a Cornblow? I don't know. Shouts to the Cornblows. Uh, I forget which one it is, but you'll hear it in a second. Uh, we will be talking about the NBA draft, which is... Shockingly soon, in which John is unprepared to discuss. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in a bit. Our brand new sponsor, Mike. We mm. hinted at it. Yes, brand new sponsor. It is the Colony Meadery. So that's you right. might be thinking, uh, what is a meadery? Not a, I, that's not, what I was thinking. Right, not a meadery. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's mead, M-E-A-D. Now, you knew what this was before I even told you, right? Like, you knew what mead was. Yeah. So I uh, I didn't know what mead was. So Greg from the Colony Meadery, uh, it's his meadery, reached out. He's a, a listener and a, a Sixers fan process truster. And he was like, he was interested in advertising on the podcast. And I was like, well, you're going to have to tell me what you do first. Um, and then, so mead, for those who aren't, like, educated on it, is an alcohol that is made from fermenting honey, and there's no gluten. Like, there's not even possibly gl- gluten. Like, they're not even allowed to put wheat in in the alcohol, so there's no gluten. And um, it, it's, like, really old. Uh, LL sent me uh, an article yesterday that the phrase honeymoon is actually derived on some in some way from from mead wow so what a fun yeah. little nugget of information from our favorite jeweler <laughs> right right like this is sponsor integration right so <laughs> um so so the colony meadery is in allentown and they make this mead and they sent it to me and it is good it's like if you are looking for this is what i would first of all the gluten-free thing is important for a lot of people right now and it's you know when you go out to drink my wife is like totally gluten-free when you go out you have to ask Normally, there's a couple of ciders on the menu or something, yeah. and you don't know if they're good or not. Um, but mead is different. They have all these different flavors. They have the mead that's in a can. Um, they have they canned have like an, mead. They, I didn't know it was canned. Yeah, canned mead, which is a lower alcohol level. It's closer to beer. It's like 5%. That's um, yeah, they have a one called Grapefruit League. There's an Arnold Palmer mead. And then... They have their flagship meads, like the ones that come in the bottle, which are maybe a little less carbonated, I would guess. Like, um, and those are way higher in alcohol content, like 9%, 13%. And it's all really good. Um, you should try it. It is, I don't know, how, how would you describe mead? Like, how would... It's sweet. Yep. But I would say, depending on the, the type... Not obnoxiously so. I think you would know more about me. You're not a Game of Thrones guy. If you were a Game no. of Thrones guy or that type of genre, you would know more about mead. You would be like, oh, I get it. Uh, meat and mead. That's sort of like the, uh, like, we'll break bread. We'll have meat and mead together. Like, that's what. Oh, uh, so it's a Game of Thrones thing. 
There's, I there's some well, that's why people are yeah. aware of it now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you should try it. Um, there are, first of all, you could do tours and tastings. They have tastings up at the uh, Meadery Tap Room. And I think there's two of them. There's Bethlehem and Allentown. You can find them at events. The, they'll be at the Lansdale, Lansdale Beer Fest and the Summer Ale Fest at the Philly Zoo, both June 23rd. Uh, they are at basically every place that you can buy alcohol in the area. So every Wegmans in Eastern PA, Beer Love Bella Vista, uh, Bottle Bar East, Local 41. Um, and you can just, if you can't get to any of those places, you can order online at colonymeadery.com. That's a meadery is spelled M-E-A-D-E-R-Y.com. And if you use promo code Ricky, you get $5 off. I, re- um, I realized that I, uh, every time I was trying to tell, I was excited about this sponsor. So I was yep. telling people about it. And when I say uh, who the new sponsor, I say, I say it loud for whatever reason. I can't say mead. <laughs> I can't say mead quiet. I was like, uh, we have a new sponsor. It's mead. Like, <laughs> I have to really announce it mead. So I'm excited about it. So, so that'll be the bit. There you go. Um, so check them out. Colonymeadery.com. Uh, code Ricky for $5 off. Must be 21 to drink. So, and sorry please. to Jake Pavorsky. Yes, forever. And uh, please hashtag get buzzed. Get it mead responsibly drink responsibly uh gotta be 21 okay we're back hi john hi buddy still here still um, here um i live here yes I'm, I'm gonna be here for a while i'm just not letting myself leave yeah we uh, have the spare bedroom that's nice we watched the sixers in the nba playoffs mm-hmm. uh take take care of business against miami against a pretty good theoretically deep balanced, well-coached Miami team. Yes. And then against Boston, uh, some of their their weaknesses were exposed. Mm-hmm. Some of their youth was exposed. And it seemed like they just didn't have enough guys. Now we go into the NBA draft. There were also games, though, that could have gone the other way, right? Like, we would have thought about this completely differently. Like, what if they steal game two? Easily. Right? Uh, what if, was and it game three or game four? where they could, It was game three, right? So two and three could have been completely different. Game one. Hi, Colleen. Hey. What's up? And my wife walked in. Hello. Uh, NFL our, Network's Colleen Wolf wow, has returned. So, yes. game. I've said this a trillion times. Game one, Boston won handily. Game four, the Sixers won pretty handily. Games two, three, and five were, were toss-ups. And right. I think that we as a society as a whole are so results-based. Funny to talk about this on a very pro-process podcast. But yes. let, setting that aside for now, there were clearly issues sure. with... Uh, the Sixers as a, as a team that they, as they were built um, because it, they got into this position a little quicker than they probably thought they would. And uh, and some of those issues can be solved this offseason. The draft is the first thing coming up. Sure. What what do the Sixers need going into the draft? And can can they get it in the draft? Can they get it in one person at 10? Or should they try to focus on just one specific thing at 10 and, and address the rest via free Historically, it's tough to grab with one guy at 10, right? Like, the farther you go into the draft, the tougher it's going to be to just, like, really hit on a guy. Of course. Uh, your scout, uh, Alon or Elaine? Alon. Alon Vinikarov, right? Did I do that? Did yeah. I get anywhere close to that? It, got it. All right, great. Fantastic. Elaine is a funny name. It's, uh, it's, it's... I don't know any male Elaine. I took a shot and I got 75% of the way there. Sure. He nailed it, I thought, on two points. And he said that they were obvious, but... They are, but they're also important. One, 
a dribbler, somebody who can put the ball on the floor. I mean, we've known forever and ever that that's not Rocco's game. And then you look at, you can't get Fultz on the floor. And then you look at, okay, well, Embiid can't be the one handling the ball because he's, you know, Embiid. Mm -hmm. And then what else do you have? You've got Ben Simmons and you had periodically TJ. We all love TJ here at the Ricky, but probably you need more than just that. And then beyond that shooting, you had JJ, uh, you paid a a heavy sum, Shouts to Ringer podcaster J.J. Redick, who had a very nice season moonlighting as a basketball player. But I think that like when you get into the playoffs and you're on a hot streak, in part because you grab two guys off the waiver wire, and Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Eliasova, who caught fire, mm-hmm. and everybody went, wow, they're really good. And I was like, yeah, there's going to be a regression in the mean here. There's a reason why those guys keep bouncing around to every team. There's a reason why they're on the wire, and there's a reason why they were available. Yeah. That's what happened, right? Like. So you need shooting and you need another ball handler and always defense. Like those are three areas that you could happily upgrade on. Now, who's that guy? You're the draft guy. You tell me and we'll see how they fit in. Well, how how much um how much does Marco Fultz factor in? Because Huge. for me for me it's, it's massive. Whole, for me it's the whole thing. When you talk about like, oh, they need another ball handler, they need another guy that can penetrate. Like there was a Markel Fultz shaped hole mm-hmm. in the Sixers offense. All season long, and I don't even say defense because at a, cert- a certain level, like he's a guy that can—he's six ten wingspan, uh, certainly has a, a ways to go defensively, but but can cover one through th- or whatever switches right. one through three, one through four on switches, whatever. Uh, how much do they have to? Obviously, they have more information than we do, right? They're working with Drew Hanlon, uh, the, or Fultz is working with Drew Hanlon, as, who is not part of the Sixers organization. No, who is not? He's a private trainer. Who is not uh, Fultz's? Uncle, right? Uh, the guy who changed the shot. He's yeah. not that guy. He's not that guy. He's the guy who's going to change it again, and and ninety nine percent positive for the better. Now, how much better is a good question, right? So, how how much can you count on if you're the Sixers going into the draft? How much can you count on? Well, we have faults, and he's going to penetrate, and he's going to defend. He's going to be great in the half court, and he's going to be the secondary ball handler when Simmons is out there, and he's going to lead the offense when he's not. He can play alongside TJ if the shots falling off the catch. Uh, how much do you go into this draft knowing, like, we got him? I, I don't think you can. Uh, I think that what happened this year is indicative of them going, okay, we don't know, right? Like, they sat him all year. The shot was messed up. It was supposed to be the shoulder. They took fluid out, but they put it in. Like, they don't know what they've got in Markel Fultz. They can't possibly know. There's no declarative thing here you're not going to know until he gets back on the court whether that's in summer league or more likely if they just decide hey let's just spend all offseason getting the shot right and we'll put him in preseason action uh and then we'll see where it goes i will say that it's encouraging to me that he's working with you hanlon who you don't hear bad things about among nba players right they love him uh, they had, you know, he's worked with Jason Tatum. Hi, Colleen. He's, Colleen's leaving. NFL Network's Colleen Wolf is walking out. Um, so he worked with Jason Tatum, who, coming out of Duke. Uh, haven't heard of him. Haven't heard of him. Nobody, nobody likes him. Coming out of Duke was projected as a league average shooter from deep. And, yeah, very and, mid, mid-range based. And immediately shooter. became very good at it. He right. works with Bradley Beal, who's an excellent sharpshooter. Yep. Uh, he helped Joel Embiid add a three-point shot. He's working with Mo Bamba on his shot. Uh, a bunch of these prospects that you haven't heard of, well, you have. I'm saying you, royal you for listeners, uh, have go, go through his gym. He has a little gym. Well, he uses a gym out by the LAX airport, but it's 
pure sweat basketball and like he comes very highly recommended so as shot doctors go he's a hot name right now mm-hmm. drew hanlon so it's encouraging that markel's working with him what kind of magic can he work this is a big test this is not like let's make jason tatum better because jason tatum can shoot this is not let's extend joel Embiid's range this is not let's take uh bradley beal and make him go from one of the best to an all-star mm-hmm. this is holy shit we gotta fix this i don't know and how if you're Brett Brown, what are you th- thinking about this? Are you saying like we trust Drew, we've met with him because they probably have had to, right? I mean, yeah, and and they already and Beat already works with him, yeah, and then works with him still, all still does. oh all year, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, so I'll give you an example. The first time I met Mobamba was before the playoff game uh, against the Miami Heat, game mm-hmm. one in Philadelphia. Bamba was in town, sitting courtside hanging out with Joel because Joel wasn't back yet. Mm-hmm. And Drew Hanlon was in town working with both of them. And they broke down film and they did shot sessions and Embiid was on his way back and Bamba was prepping for the draft and it's two Hanlon clients and they're professionals and you know, I think the Sixers know that he's a respected dude. And also, like, if Joel Embiid wants to work with that guy, what do you do? Like, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I can't tell you no. Well, Embiid, sure. But for Fultz, it's like... This has been a source of stress and anxiety for the entire organization and the coaching staff and possibly other members of the team the whole season of, like, what's going on? They're answering questions about him. Mm-hmm. Is it, it's got to feel weird to sort of wash your hands of it or at least hands, hand the reins to somebody else where you're like, well, I hope this guy that we're not paying is, is going to fix it. And he's, it's not in our gym, right? Isn't that kind of yeah. weird? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of that, I think you'd, there'd be a reservation, right? But it is the off season, and guys, as you mentioned in a previous podcast, flock to LA, mm-hmm. and it's not like you need to, um, you know, move out here or something, right? Like guys are here in the off season, right. so Fultz is here now. Fultz is here now, working okay. with Drew Hanlon in LA. Yes. Does he come? Would he want to come to your kitchen and? Record a podcast. I mean, it's it's not that far. Okay. We don't have to, we'll have to throw up a flare and see right. how it goes. But yes, he's out here. I because I have to assume, like, there's a guy I like in the draft, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's yes. a point guard of Kentucky. Toronto Raptors are thinking about moving up for him. Yes, but was, according that, to reports, that was the report today. He's long. He's switchable in defense. He's very smart. Very high. I love when you player. talk draft to me. Absolutely. He. Um, isn't the most natural shooter, especially off the dribble, mm-hmm. um, but his numbers off the catch were like decent, uh, and he was a, he was fine at the line. So he, he's got a lot of work to do uh, with his shot, also. But he's a guy that I just believe in in terms of being a uh, an NBA starter because I think he's just smart, and the team is better. Kentucky is certainly was so much better when he had the ball in his hands and he, when he was on the court. Um, the shot component that you're mentioning, I'm right now cribbing off of the Ringer's uh, NBA Draft Guide. Highly recommend that, nbadraft.theringer.com. Do you work at the Ringer? I do, in fact, work at the Ringer. It's an excellent place. I suggest you check out the website. But they have on our Draft Guide comparisons. Do you want to take some guesses on comparisons for current NBA players to your guy? I've looked at it. I know DeJounte Murray's on there, right? Uh, he might be, but not for this one. Not for not for Shea? I thought it was on there. No. M- MCW is maybe on there? MCW and uh-huh. Sean Livingston, yeah. who, uh, Sean Livingston, obviously greater than symbol MCW, but sure. neither of them with a shot. Right. Doesn't that concern you a little bit? A little. 
the off the dribble, the shot is weird for sure. Um, off the catch, it's okay. I think he's just gonna have to get better. I, I really just honestly, I watched him all year. I watched him a ton. I watched a ton, ton of Kentucky, and it just seems like he's a guy that doesn't really make mistakes. His mm-hmm. basketball IQ is really high, uh, and he gets to the rim with like sort of slurvy moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the ball in his hand, he's not a straight line driver. Like he can like sort of just navigate and and use his length to get where he wants. But I mean, is that a guy like he's? I have him at currently. I have him fifth on my board because I just really. Believe oh wow! Him. I really really believe you him. have him very high. We I have him, him sixteen. High. Here's a line that they have on it. His pull up jumper works, but it's as aesthetically pleasing as Markel Fultz's post post shoulder injury. Okay. Jesus. Yeah. Ugly. This but, is your guy. I. He's not my high. Although, I, mean, I, want, I want McCall. Like I want McCall. That's what we're talking about. Like, in terms of like, I believe in, I believe in Drew Hanlon. Okay. I believe in Markel Fultz. Okay. I believe in if he even develops, you know, sixty percent of the shot that he had at college. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player, and I think he'll work uh, because of how shifty he is with the ball in his hands, how much bounce he has, uh, how he can get pretty much wherever he wants on the court. Um, he's just a very fluid athlete and moves well, but like. Because of because I believe in Fultz, I don't feel everyone looks at the Sixers and says, "Well, they need another ball handler." Look what happened with Boston. I'm like, I, yeah. I just think Fultz is that guy. I think that that's they needed exactly you want him. it to be right. And so the problem why, is like, okay, can he, you count on it? He is that ball handler. Yeah, we know he can handle the ball. Yeah, and he could be good defensively. Yes, you can't play him if he can't shoot from more than like you can't have him and Simmons. Being guys who they can only score from the paint. Yeah. You can't have it. Meanwhile, it's going to fucking kill you. Some videos of Simmons hitting threes. Fine. Service. Wonderful. I, I have, obviously, for for reasons that we've all seen, much more faith in Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is already good. We know he's good. If he adds a jumper, he's going to be great. Yeah. Fine. You're good there. But you need shooters around. You can't have a worse version of Simmons <laughs> and a smaller version of Simmons needing to get into the lane or get close to it to do whatever it is that Fultz was doing towards the end of the season that was obviously killing them and he couldn't be played against the Celtics. You had can't tri- have it. Had a triple-double, though. Had a triple-double. Good for you. Fantastic. It was, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say a hollow triple-double. It's a triple-double. <laughs> but it, it's it's concerning, right? Like that's, And I hope you're right. I hope it is, if Fultz can fix the shot, then you are 1,000% right. That ball handler they need and that shooter, boom. Can, you got congrats, Simmons, you've got it. This you got is Simmons, amazing. It's you got exactly, Simmons, you got Fultz, and you have TJ off the bench. W- wonderful. I'm just concerned, right? Like, it's – I got to see it. We all have to see it. Everybody has to see it. Yeah. Um, but I will say, though, for your draft board, you are generally my guy for this because last year you were hyping up Donovan Mitchell – and my God, man! Like I was right about Donovan Mitchell. You're right about Donovan Mitchell. I might have been wrong about Jason Tatum. I've you were wrong. very wrong about Jason Tatum. I've been wrong in the past. You were you and and stubbornly wrong about Jason Tatum. <laughs> Even during the season when you would come over or I'd come over and we'd watch basketball, I'd be like, Jason Tatum's really good, and you were defiant. I uh, <laughs> I I did for long into the season. I did say I wanted Bam Adebayo more than Tatum. <laughs> To myself, I just—it's hard to—it's truly tough to get my mind around it because he's just a very—and people say this about Donovan Mitchell also, like the stuff he was doing at Louisville, like he—that's a lot different than the guy he sure. was at Utah. And so I feel that way about Tatum. I feel tricked by the person he was at Duke. It's and hard. The players in Boston. It's hard because—and that's what I was saying, like earlier in the podcast. We we go into the draft, or at least you do, and I used to. <laughs> Where you'd look at this, you'd be like, man, there's like, here's like 20 guys that I'm like excited about. And then yeah. you realize it's like 
probably seven. And then you're like, oh, only three of those are really fucking good. But I don't know if I agree with that. Like, you look at, like, in the, later in the draft last year, right? Josh Hart. Yeah. NBA starter. Sure. Not starter. Player for now. Kyle Kuzma, definitely sure. NBA starter yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. Jordan Bell, probably mm-hmm. an NBA starter. Sindarius Thornwell, mm-hmm. potentially good. Like, there's, there's guys, even that late, that's, these days, because of how the NBA, we're still, sort of still, maybe we're on the tail end of this change, but we're still in the, like, 3 and D out of nowhere, uh, uh, what's his name? Milwaukee Bucks. Just got tased. Why am I forgetting his name? Oh, your face. Uh, Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown, like, was, was a role player at SMU and is a role player in the NBA. And, like, that just sort of transferred over. And there's guys in the draft this year, like Melvin Frazier, who played at Tulane. Like, when was the last time you thought of Tulane basketball? Not in a while. No. But, like, is he, he's long enough and he's bouncy enough to where he could play a similar role there with just better teammates around him. Like, yeah. I think that there's, there's – you can go – we're still in this flux of uh, the NBA is figuring things out more and the, and the G League is coming up. So, like, there's still – players do fall through the cra- cracks I think because we're saying, of their – I think we're saying the same thing in different ways. Like, yeah, there are a bunch of players – that you look at and go, that was a nice grab by such and such an organization yeah. for a guy who's going to be an NBA veteran, right? Sure. Like, And I say veteran in the most positive way, but what that really means is they're not going to be a star or a superstar. But Covington is an NBA starter, and he was yeah. undrafted. Yeah, yeah, sure. There are there are guys that, that do that. But I think like out of 60, yeah. you look at it and go, like, man, we get so jazzed up about a bunch of these guys, and, and there's going to be a lot more misses than we Generally, think because we're in that like right. NBA pre NBA draft frenzy where everything is new and shiny and everybody's going to work out. But I, but it also it also gets into the hole poking situation and everybody at the top has had their holes poked and all their weaknesses are on yes, display. Yes, the holes have been poked. The holes have been poked. <laughs> I have Marvin Bagley at twenty fourth. I hate him. I don't think. <laughs> Do you really? I really have him at twenty fourth. This is amazing. Uh, Chris, Kevin Alexander, who by the way still banned. I'm asking for a friend. Kevin Alexander? Oh, I'm sorry. Kevin O'Connor. You don't even know his name. Of course he's banned. No, I have a friend named Kevin Alexander who writes for Thrillist, but Kevin O'Connor wrote a piece. uh, So Kevin O'Connor and Kevin Alexander still banned? Yeah. Both banned. All Kevins. Almost every Kevin is banned. All Kevins are banned. Uh, Kevin O'Connor wrote a piece on our site where he's got Wendell Carter Jr. greater than symbol Marvin Bagley. I have Wendell Carter at six. Okay. I have Marvin Bagley at 24. So, yeah. You're really out on him. I'm there. Me and Kevin agree on some things, but we don't agree on him on ever him. appearing in the Ricky again. <laughs> yeah, I was asking for a friend named Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what we were talking about. I forget it. Uh, but anyway, there's reports that the Sixers are looking to trading up. Yes, I saw that report from one David Griffin, who yes. also is from, from GM candidate David GM, Griffin. GM candidate, yes. Yeah. Uh, what a weird, what a weird thing to have. Let me ask you this, please. And and this is just me speculating. I've not talked to David Griffin about this. I haven't talked to anybody in the Sixers organization about this. This is me just spitballing right now. Is it possible that the Sixers are actually interested in David Griffin, and that they were just like, hey, eh, we're thinking about this thing. We'll toss you a scoop. Well, I mean, not, not even just a scoop, but like they were like, you know, we're thinking about you and we're thinking about this thing. And what do you think about this thing since we're thinking about you? And he turned around and reported it? Just let it slip. Like, I mean, there's so much shit out there that like it would never get back to this is definitely how you connect the dots. He could have heard it from anybody, but is it possible? I don't know. It's, it's pretty. If he wants the job, it's a pretty Probably weird Probably shouldn't move. have done it. Yeah. yeah. 
Have you let anything slip in this podcast that you'll be uh, no, I don't think not so. considered for a job? Okay, great. No, I don't think so. Uh, looking well, to move up. I like my job, by the way. Good. I want to stay put. Good. Yeah. Looking to move up uh, into the top five was the report. Uh, it seems like that would be for Luka Doncic, who has been falling inexplicably. Mm-hmm. Um Possibly a Trey Young. Although there's been reports about a Trey Young, there's been reports about Michael Carter Jr. or Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. And I was told I'm getting bar- a barrage of Kevin Knox uh, yeah. burner accounts texting me from people I know, uh, reaching out saying how good he is and how he's potentially a top five talent. And I. You know what's what's been what's whatever whatever I it for me it's it's got to be for Doncic you don't move up into the top five to take Kevin Knox who will probably be there at eight or nine or uh, Trey Young maybe the same thing honestly if you like the guy get the guy but the idea that what's it cost you to move up that far that's my number one question you know if it's 10 and 26 to move up to get your guy I'm cool with that I think I'm cool I'm with totally that. fine with that because I, I, as much as I do think that you can get valuable guys at 26 uh, Hall of Famers by my by my yeah. board yeah everybody. everybody everybody's gonna hit that's right they never miss they never miss um, the Sixers are in a bit of a roster crunch now they said this last year sure uh, where they traded up to draft Andres Pesechniks uh, who isn't Good. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a long they, way to go. They have assortment of second rounders. The assortment of second right. rounders that they sold uh, and then managed to go into the season with Okafor and Stauskas, who they then had to pay, pay to, to give, give away. That can, can we just pause for a quick se- yeah. second? Like, this is something that I don't think got talked about enough. I know. I tweeted like, it the other day. Yeah, one of right. my main, like, it drove me insane. Aside from the fact, like, I don't fault Brian Colangelo even a little bit for identifying, go get your guy. Fultz is your guy. And a lot of people liked Fultz at the time. I was cool with it. I like the trade at the time. I If Fultz shoots, I still like it. If, your guy, if Fultz is your guy, fine. What I did have a problem with was trading a draft pick to your main rival who you're going to have to contend with for a very long time and sure. making them even stronger for a guy who, from everybody that you talk to around the league, thought that call Danny Ainge's bluff, see if he's going to pass on Jason Tatum because most likely he's not, and you're going to get your guy at three without having to give him a pick. Yeah. You lost a poker game. Then you lost another one, which was way, way, way worse, which brings me to my original point here. With the Trevor Booker trade, you mean? With Julia Okafor, with the Trevor Booker trade, where you could have just cut him. Yeah. And said, we're going to buy you out. You don't want to be here. We don't want you to be here. We're going to cut our losses. Instead, you tried to perpetrate this ruse where we're going to bring in Trevor Booker, who's worth a second-round pick. And I know people poo-poo second-round picks, but they're not not valuable. Mm-hmm. And you got rid of Trevor Booker like mere fucking moments later. And that was a glaring, like, I can't believe that that trade was made by by a professional NBA general manager. Like, you have to know when to walk away and cut your losses instead of trying to spin something. Yeah, I mean, they definitely liked Trevor Booker. There was they wanted him on the team. Now they cut him when they got Ilyasova, I think it was, or Bellinelli, one of them, um, which made the trade kind of pointless. They have a bunch of second round picks. Hinky obviously established right. uh, a nice war chest of second round picks that they don't feel like they need to use. But having to pay Brooklyn to take them is yeah, just like it was bad. It's mind-boggling. Yes, it is. In in the arguments that me and Spike have about how good or bad of a job Colangelo's done, it is one of the, right the death, death by a thousand cuts sort of thing. Like, is that 
mid-second round pick going to come back to bite you? No, because you have four second round picks this year. And right. if you if you don't want the picks this year, you can trade a second round pick this year for a second round pick next year, and you can and you can spread it out over time, and it'll be great. But I, I think at some point that there's a diminishing return of we're paying extra picks for things that aren't helping us in return. Right now, yeah. a second round pick is less valuable, obviously, than the first round pick that they traded to move up and grade vault. So everything is like on a scale. Yeah. But it all adds up some way, right? Like everything has value. It's not equal value, but yeah. it's value. And like, how do you think about value? And how do you think about like what you're doing? So in this instance where it's 10 and 26, in theory, in a vacuum, I'm like, sure, if you're going to move up, but who is it? Number mm-hmm. one, that's my number one question. Who's, what guy are you identifying? And number two is, who's doing this move, by, by the way? Like, yes, who is talking about it? Who's, who's deciding? Who? I mean, like, it's an, assort- it's an assortment of people in the Sixers, and it's, uh, you know, they've got their little cadre of, of humans. But, like, who ultimately is like, yep, that's what we're doing? I, I don't, don't know. know. It's not us. It's definitely not us. If it's Doncic. Cool with it. Happy with it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, I, and I've heard all your concerns on the Ricky. I'm an avid R- Ricky fan. I'm pro Doncic. I'm pro Spike, Ricky. Spike is anti. Uh, I've <laughs> heard, hear. yes. Um, Spike has some good concerns, though, about... Are like, they good, or are they just like, I watched a video of him and he's Well, fat. no, no, just just that the shot has been hit or miss, right? It's been alternating. Like, he, it depends on what I, you believe the shot can be. I believe in the shot. Derek I believe Bod- in his pick and Derek, roll. Derek Bodner believes in the shot. It's right. good enough for me. Uh, and, and smart people that I like believe in the shot, and then also his ability to create out of the pick and roll. Like yeah. Those two things are big, right? Which the Sixers did not run any pick and roll last year because they didn't have anybody to do it. Right. Ben Simmons isn't a pick and roll player because he can't shoot. Fultz wasn't there. But that could potentially, I mean, like you see how things change, you know, from regular season to the playoffs. So having another way you can play at times is good. Yeah. Um, and having a player who's a smart player, who makes the right pass, who fits in that way. Yeah. Uh, and if he has a shot can help spread the floor, then I'm on board with all of those things. Yeah. I mean, do you think that a lineup in which Safe Fultz is shooting again mm-hmm. and you have a lineup of Fultz, mm-hmm. Doncic, mm-hmm. Covington, Simmons, Embiid. That's a lot of passing. That's a lot of playmaking. That's a lot of like switchability. Yeah. It's maybe not a ton of pure shooting, especially Covington, who's a streaky guy. Is pretty much you're counting on him a lot. Embiid would have to be more consistent with his shot if you're if you're playing five out. Yeah, I think. I mean, you can't, I mean, are you playing five out with Ben Simmons though? You're not playing five out with Ben Simmons. You're, like you've really right. you've really forecasted the shot. Right. Upwards. No. 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 I was. I guess he's. You know. He's going to be doing the majority of the handling. Yeah, and that's fine because I think we've already learned that like he's best when he's got the ball in his hand, right? He's a, a high-usage, ball-dominant player. Right, but I would like to see him getting better off the ball. It would be see great. Him, see, him, see him set screens and cut to the basket. See him uh, cut off the ball baseline. If, maybe, maybe shoot periodically. Maybe, I mean, even, I mean we him, can't rush these things. Forget we can't rush these but things. See, but having like a Doncic-Simmons pick-and-roll with Embiid yeah. in the post or... There's the a lot of baseline. options for Brett in a those scenarios. Options. I think like probably you're still like staggering Simmons and Fultz. Probably in some. Um, in some but in your way. ideal world where everybody shoots, yes. even the two guys who can't shoot, no, sure, I'm, it sounds amazing. Let's assume that Simmons still <laughs> isn't shooting. Let's assume that okay. next year. I mean, even if next year he's like he's you know, Giannis, where he's shooting like he shoots threes, but he shoots they're like, not good, but like twenty six percent, right, right, threes. right, right. But he at least will let's take. Let's not forget him if he's by the way over. that Embiid is a thirty percent three point shooter. Like I don't know about that. I, I mean, he as a rookie uh, he was better than that, but he got cold a little bit. Okay, 
I, I believe in Embiid as a at at least league average shooter. Once he, you know, it's his first off season. Like he's, I believe in it. Um, you think that? I mean, that lineup. If there are people shooting, that lineup to me is because of how solid Doncic is and how smart he is as a player and how many things he can do on the court. Even if he's not the most athletic guy, that to me is like Warriors esque. Like that, that to me is when people are playing, like we can, there, there are so many things that that lineup can do and ways to beat you. Obviously not with as much shooting, but in terms of like five guys that are just contributing at a very high level. I mean, ultimately, I think like for me, we're going to pump the brakes on the Warriors-esque, but we are in the rookie. That's I would right. be very excited about it. Uh, that's what you wanted when the process started, right? Where you were like, okay, these are guys that are our guys who are not only talented, but we can play a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, they're under contract and control for a mm-hmm. while. Yeah. Like, and the cap sheet is still clean. And we could still go out and get like throw some money at a Paul George or maybe we could use these as assets to pick up a Kawhi Leonard or who knows, maybe LeBron goes, mm-hmm. oh shit, like they've got so much stuff and I really would be the guy to put them over and this would be my best opportunity. I think ultimately, and this to bring it back to Sam for just a quick second, and this is something I put in the piece, initially it was very hard for me to wrap my head around Philadelphia 76ers free agent destination. Yeah. But as Sam rightly put to me, if you look at it and you go, well man, like, They've got Joel Embiid, and he's really young and good, and they've got Ben Simmons, and he's really young and good. And now, in your scenario, Markel Fultz is shooting the ball, and he's really young and good, and now they've got Luka Doncic. I bet if I went there, I could win. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. Like, if they go and get an extra guy of that caliber, Mm -hmm. it's a monster team. Now, you've also got to contend with the other monster teams, one of which is Boston and is going to be set up for a very long time, but it's promising. We'll talk about the, those extra guys, free agency destinations in a second. Uh, if it takes, if Memphis is only willing to part with the fourth pick mm-hmm. and drop down in the lottery, if you take on the Chandler Parsons contract, uh, two years remaining, a ton of money. I'd have to look at it. Let me look it's, at the It's contract. two years remaining, it's a ton of money, and it would take you out of the running for any other big-time free agents. There's a world where maybe you could get the Parsons contract and still... Sign Redick if you get rid of Bayless somehow, but... So in this scenario, it would be the four and Chandler Parsons Albatross contract in exchange for what? The 10 and... 10 and I I don't have any salary cap math in front of me, but okay. you might have to give He's back got, like a couple things. Ah, uh, man. It's it's two more years at 24 and $25 million. Yeah, a lot of money. I mean, it's an insane amount of money. and One it's, of the worst contracts in NBA it's history. one of the worst contracts in NBA history, and that's the kind of contract that's prohibitive, where you go from having a lot of flexibility to having no flexibility. Um, but then but then you have... Who's the guy that you're getting it for that you like that much? So, but then you have... You have to really be certain. The, but, but his contract ends in two years, right? So then you have Embiid on, on his... Long-term He's contract. He's already got a contract. But Simmons I, will get his in a couple of years. Well, that's the couple of years, right? It's a couple of years yeah. where you're locked in. But so this you is your go team for from, two years. This is your team for two years to being similarly hamstrung when the two years is up because you're going to have to pay Ben. And if you still have Dario in this situation, yeah. you're going to have to pay Dario too because he's up as well. That's true. So, and then right after that would be faults. And like you're basically, you went from having a lot of flexibility in this very short window to having no flexibility in no window. Mm-hmm. You'd have but to really be sure. You're essentially locking yourself the Chandler into this Parsons kind of contract team. is a, 
that's a really tough call for me. But if you're willing to take him on, agency. but if you're willing to take him on and be like, all right, here's this guy who has been bad for a couple of years now mm-hmm. and is clearly not healthy, but he's friends with Embiid, which mm-hmm. who they, knows if that's a good thing or a bad they'd thing. They'd be all over Twitter. Yes, TMZ would love it. That's a lot of that. Um, Juliet would be all about it. Juliet, shouts to Juliet Lindman. Uh, could he be like, all right? Obviously, he's not the player he used to be, but he's a guy who can, when he's healthy, he's, shoot, shoot a little bit and take a couple dribbles a little bit. And, and maybe as much as that contract is albatross, it's two years. And is it is it the kind of thing where you're like, look, we're getting another very high ceiling, high floor, uh, potentially high ceiling guy in, in Luka Doncic who's very young and already succeeding at, in the second best league in the, in the world. Um, you're boxing yourself in a little bit, but you have Embiid, Fultz, Simmons, and Doncic, and Dario and Covington for a couple of years, and now, uh, as much as it cost, a switchable-ish wing shooter penetrator. See, right of. there. That you can, I can convince you. If, I, if, you, if, you t- if you tell Chandler Parsons, hey, we're playing you 15 minutes a game on this really good team, all of a sudden you have spacing, all of a sudden you have... Uh, a lot of guys that can handle the ball and do stuff. You're on. A, you're not on Memphis with that's giving like 40 minutes to Dylan Brooks and Wayne Selden and Jermichael Green. You're you're on the Sixers and we're contending for a title. Like, strap in. You're a role player on this team now. As much as you're getting paid as a star. As a star. I love your starry-eyed optimism. I'm just th- I'm just wondering. I'm, I, I'm the I host. Think like, I'm the host of this podcast. Yes, you're doing a great job Spike, too. Spike by the way, dead. this is really great. Um, I would say for me, if you're going to make that move. You have to do it under like eyes wide open, assuming that Chandler Parsons is what he is—not healthy. He's the on the Lakers right now, right? Like you're you're not going to be able to move the contract. How old is Parsons? He's tw- he's only 29 years old. Jesus, Christ. he'll he'll be 29 this season. Um, I think you go into it going, this is a salary eat, and we're going to have to do it to get our guy. And in that situation, I would have to be absolutely certain, like with without equivocation. That Donich is going to be like the third monster on a team with two monsters already, and then if you get something else out of Fultz, now you've got four, and holy shit, this is really something. Yeah, I personally would be very hesitant to do that if if the price is Chandler Parsons' contract because the flexibility was everything for this whole fucking experiment. It's giving yourself all these draft picks. It's making sure your cap sheet is clean. It's being able to do a number of different things in any scenario and locking myself in. To this one to young, scenario, to young cost-controlled stars. Except where it takes away your a lot, not all, but it would take away a lot of your financial flexibility because yes. of the Parsons. Contract. But eventually, you have to cash in your contract, cash in your chips. Eventually, I just don't think I'd do it on that one. I, I don't. I, I would have to be you. You tell me, like, is is that the guy where you'd be like, "Yep, one thousand percent, Luka Doncic. You're gonna bring him in, and then like, boom, we're good." I believe in him absolutely as a as a guy that could run an NBA franchise. I my questions are what happens with Fultz? Are is are him and Simmons too similar that their values sort of cancel each other out a little bit? Don't you want like you know Trevor Ariza types around Simmons and Fultz and Brad Beal types around those guys where having another guy that can run a pick and roll or initiate but not be an excellent shooter. I, I do think he's going to be a good shooter. I don't know about like dead eye in, mm-hmm. in that sense, Reddick esque whatever. But I don't know. 
that's but that's the kind of thing that you have. Those are the kinds of risks you have to take. I think to to beat a you know supernaturally great team like the Warriors. I need a closer to a short thing before I'm Chandler Parsons committing on that. I hear that. Um, I've, but, ta- I've talked myself over the course of this podcast you really into have, believing you, in Chandler Parsons. You just talked yourself into Chandler Parsons is playing 15 minutes for 15. the Sixers. 15! Who can do 15? <laughs> Him and Justin Anderson trading off. They're, they're hitting guys. I, I they're will grabbing say, Dwayne Wade's arm. I will say this. If, if Chandler Parsons ends up as a Sixer, something has either gone incredibly <laughs> right or incredibly wrong. Sure. Well, my question is, the... The only way you do the Chandler Parsons thing mm-hmm. is if you don't think that you can get LeBron or Paul George or potentially a trade for Kawhi, which is a different situation because the right. trade for Kawhi would likely cost Fultz, Ten, Dario, yep. Covington, some combination of those yep. assets, which is a lot for a guy that you don't know if he's going to sign here. You don't know how healthy he is. You don't know what the fuck is going on with his uncle. It's a weird situation. If you were talking about gambles, I'd rather gamble on Kawhi than gambling on Chandler Parsons' contract and, and Luka Doncic because I know what Kawhi is. Like I, I know he might not be healthy. Second best player in the league. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. And if you get him and you put him on that team and now he's playing lockdown defense and he's completely switchable and, oh, by the way, he's shooting three-pointers on a team that could use some uh, floor stretching, Like, mm-hmm. like that's... That's a monster team. Now, now we're on to something here. Like that's a gamble I would make. And also, like in your scenario, you're getting rid of. And I think it would start with Fultz and Dario and the ten. If I'm the Spurs, I'm going probably not enough. Interesting. Probably not enough. Like I don't know what Fultz is. I like Dario. Yeah. I don't know what the ten is going to be. And that's my thing with Fultz's trade value is that he's not. It's not high enough where he gets you what you'd need to. Uh, rather than just keeping him and hoping that he becomes Markel Fultz that you drafted, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're nodding. I'm nodding. If you could choose... This is the part where you remind me that I'm on a podcast. You're on a podcast. Yes. Uh, If you could choose LeBron or Paul George uh, to sign to a max contract here. LeBron. Really? LeBron. He's He's the best player in the world. It's LeBron James. Like... Yes, he's a monster. Look what he did with the Cavaliers team. I covered more Cavaliers basketball this year than I think maybe any other team. And every every time I wrote a story about the Cavs, the theme was the same. This is not a good team. But LeBron. they don't they don't know what they're doing. But they LeBron. they literally don't um, know what they have. They hate and each other. They hate each other. It was at the beginning of the year they didn't know what they had and they hated each other. Halfway through the year they changed up the players and they didn't know what they had. They had a bunch of injuries. The defense was terrible. And guess what? They still made it to the finals because the guy's a fucking monster. And I get everything that comes with it. I get the circus. I get the fact that when he leaves, the team generally craters. You're in a worse spot. But it's fucking LeBron. If you can get LeBron, like anybody in Philly, and I get it. Like I get the idea of it being homegrown and the process is sort of organic and it's like intimate and like Philly's thing. Shipathesius. Yeah, I get all that. I love the Shipathesius. You guys are killers with that. It's LeBron. Like if you can get the best player, you go get the best player and you worry about everything else after. He will turn 34 December of this coming season. Okay. Still? He's he led the league in minutes. I mean, like he's got a, a t- I get you're concerned about um, the mileage on the guy. Mm-hmm. He obviously has more than anybody. By the time he's finished, his counting stats are going to be untouchable because he's played more games and more minutes and all mm-hmm. this stuff. I get all that. He's like not human. I mean, I watch his pregame workouts 
where he's doing the medicine ball thing in the hallway and like all his other guys, like all the other Cavaliers are like joking around on the court and mm-hmm. like going through half speed warm ups in game like fifty seven of the regular season because who gives a fuck? Not LeBron. Like he's fucking dialed in monster. He's not human. Yes, I think he's gonna be fine for the next for however long he would end up in Philadelphia, he would be fine. And then by that time you don't care. Do you see Terrell Owens ran a four four forty? Still out there eight, running four four. Still out there. That's LeBron. He's way better than Terrell Owens. You wouldn't. You like Paul, Paul George more. You Paul think he's George a fit. as a fit fits into this team. Sure, Le, it would become LeBron's team. It would become how do you play him and Simmons together? Mm-hmm. Two big personalities and Embiid friction. LeBron's not going to be patient about Markel's jump he's shot. Best buddies with Ben Simmons. Yes, they have the same agent. They are at the same sports agency, Clutch Sports. Yep, uh, Rich Paul. Paul George's middle name is Cliftonantho. Okay, well now I want him. Yeah, now I'm on board. If you if you had told me that sooner, this would have been different. This is a this is a no lose situation. If you add any one of Paul George, Kawhi, and LeBron to that team, then you know the Sixers are even better than they already are, which is really good. But if but then then it becomes if you don't get any of them, then you then you go into free agent then you go into the rest of free agency because it seems like free agency is going to wait for those. Yes, dominoes to fall. Yeah. So then you go into the rest of free agency, looking at like Wesley Matthews. Like, what what are you convincing yourself of? Let me run an alternate scenario by you, okay? Just for funsies, like things that people talk about. So um, there have been reports that the Toronto Raptors, everybody's available. Oh God. One of those everybody's is Kyle Lowry. Mm. Um, I thought you were going to say the other everybody. No. Lowry. Yeah. He's old too. He's old too, but a good and very, very good NBA player who uh, has shit the bed in the playoffs a lot of times. Yeah, but I mean, you know, can shoot. Yep, uh, and could go in there and handle the ball, yep. and it's all those things that we were saying would be good if Fultz could do them. But you don't know if Fultz could do them. Now, I don't know what the price would be. I'm just saying, like, if everybody on the Raptors is available, like, you do need more. Let's put it this way. The reason why we're talking about all this is because despite that the Sixers had an amazing season, I think we could all agree that if the Sixers don't get one of the three main guys that you mentioned and they go into the and they just pick a 10 and they don't move up. They take, they pick McCall Bridges. McCall Bridges, okay, who you like a lot and you think he could be a solid player for them. Absolutely. Wonderful. Does McCall Bridges move the needle not just in the NBA but in the Eastern Conference? For me, no. I look at the Celtics and I go, "Fuck." You're going to need a lot more. So then what? To me, it's Fultz is that draft pick. For, for, for like years and years, it's been the Sixers have been taking a guy, waiting a year on him, and then he's back the next year. Yeah. And that's happened yeah. year after year. <laughs> it was like, oh, the guy would that's get like New Orleans. We drafted him. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's here yeah. now. That's so nice. Yeah. Like every year it's yeah. been that. Um, and so Fultz is going to be that. Mostly next year, except for Darrow, never coming over. He he still won't be never there. making it. But some common, I, I think McCall Bridges. If you look at like you can't make you can't make any decision without knowing faults. Obviously, we have the least amount of information. Right. And I'm putting all of my faith in a former Bucknell guard in Drew Hanlon. I think he was at Bucknell. Uh, no, Le- Lehigh. He went no. Uh, it was a small school. Like it's uh, starts at Belmont. Belmont. That's yes, right. Belmont. You Ooh, top up, of the dome. Nice job. Nice pull. Put a lot of faith in there. Uh-huh. And 
You've got all your faith in in five uh, eleven white dude from Belmont and Chandler Parsons. That's right. <laughs> I've been having a couple of beers. In this These are dark days. But no, I think I, I think it's a really really tough decision, and it's a terrible time to not have a general manager. Like as much as I'm glad that Colangelo's not here, I don't think he did a great job. I think he did a fine job. I would have been excited. I would I would love to have Colangelo on the podcast, Brian, to to tell us, hey, what would your offseason have been like? Who would you have taken, mm-hmm. and what would the free agency plan been like? Who do you realistically realistically think you could have gotten? Um, but I, I'm glad he's not here. Glad he's not making that decision. I will have him on the podcast anytime. It's a brutal time not to have one. I wrote bef- pre-Ben Dietrich, uh, pre-The Ringer blowing up the Sixers front office organization, wrote a story basically about how the Sixers and the Celtics will be jockeying in the Eastern Conference for quite some time. But the Celtics, just looking at all the assets they have and all the players they already have in place, yeah. have a lead. So it's going to be a critical offseason for the Sixers. And Brian Colangelo has a lot of issues to address. One, how does he replace Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Eliasova? Uh, what does he do with J.J. Redick? What, where is he looking in the draft? How can he get at another top-tier, if not superstar, then top-tier player, either through free agency or the trade? This is a critical, critical offseason. And as we mentioned, you've got that uh, salary cap window here where you can do some creative shit. Yeah. They don't have a general manager. No. This is a really bad time for that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a really bad time and it's unfortunate. I'm hopeful that the four-headed monster of Eversley and Cohen and uh, Brett Brown and Elton Brand can figure this out together. Um, But I'd be more optimistic if they had already identified a smart guy who's just like, I got a plan, guys. I know exactly what we're doing. Yeah. How much do you... As a Sixers fan, not as a host of a uh, top-tier NBA podcast. We do okay at the ringer. It's all downloads. They don't make any sense. <laughs> uh, how much do you put in, How much stock do you put into w- wanting them to be our guys? Because the Lakers are looking at this offseason like, we will trade everyone we've ever drafted sure. to, to combine some combination of LeBron, Kawhi, and Paul George. And that's going to be our team now, and it's going to be them and fucking like. If they did that, though, if they did that, though, they could do that for this year. But the question would be, like, I'm 95, 99 percent sure that it would fuck them the following year because Kawhi would be in line for his max, and they couldn't fit him. Something like that. Um, so it would be a short term patch. But I get what you're saying. Um, homegrown versus go out and get them. When, when, especially when homegrown is, and I'm petting your dog right now, and it's really great. Yeah, this is Dasher. Da- uh, we've got Dasher, and Blitzen's in there somewhere passed out. Hi, Dasher. We have all kinds of reindeer. Uh, because it's it's not just homegrown. We're not talking about Orlando or the Bucks or Phoenix or whatever. We're talking about the process, which sure. is the most iconic section of a fan base and a and an organizational philosophy if you do say so of all time right. but it is though it's what name any it other fan base to superstar sure yeah at name any other fan base that has had any anything like no i this can't it's in it's any sport. it's singular and it's interesting and it's fascinating and i get that um that pull and attraction to it being this organic right. thing that is proprietary. Right. I totally we, we understand feel, that. We feel ownership. Ownership. 1,000%. Of, of these guys, of the way that the franchise has, has, has built itself more than any other fan base No doubt ever. about it. And hey. so it, it's as much as, you know, you, you listen to like, you know, 
Phillies fans or whatever even talk about whether they want to trade a prospect for Manny Machado or something like that. Uh, it's not that. This is we, – we bled for these guys. I hear you. We died again and again on many hills for these guys. And they're here and it's hard to say, oh, just trade them for this guy who's been on like three different teams in like a Paul George or whatever. I guess two different teams. I I think that I understand your concern. Um, ultimately, if you have Simmons and Embiid, it's still that. Okay. Right? Like like the other pieces that you're moving around, that's basketball. That's sports writ large. You're always going to have players Dar- in, players out. Dario Fultz coming. But if you've got your guys that like – in the same way that uh, – and I fucking hate using this because I hate the Patriots. But in the same way that like the Patriots shuttle guys in and out, but the two main guys remain the same – Brady and Belichick. Yeah. If you've got the cornerstones of your organization in Simmons and Embiid, then everybody else that you move in and out right. is – that's sports, man. You still draft jo- Jonah Bolden and he tweets, trust the process, and it's like, all right, he's in. Right, right. Exactly. Even though he was a Colangelo pick. That's – I mean, it's the way – it's the way of the world and the way of sports. And I think, like, there's going to be a moment where in the same way that you're that you're trying to talk yourself into fucking Chandler Parsons, <laughs> when something weird happens and it doesn't feel quite the same the way as it used to. Yeah. But – it doesn't change the experience that already happened. Like, nobody can ever take the process away from you, Mike. And they won't. <laughs> but I do wonder, Shibathesius-wise, how, how much we can lose while it, it, still, it, it still feels the same. And, I, and you're saying Simmons and Embiid, maybe a TJ. Of course a TJ. That's a, I should have said just TJ, and then we'll see who else sure. is around. And Brett. And I would actually add Brett. Oh, of course. I mean, Brett is – it's really amazing, and I'm so happy for him – and I wrote a Brett piece earlier in the season where it was like they were still – I think they were a game above 500 at the time. Yeah, when Christmas came on their, so, yeah. Their West Coast road swing. And everybody was like, I don't know about the Sixers yet. And, and Brett was like – And the reports come out now that Woj has said Brett was, yeah. Brett was on his way out. They were Colangelo-wise. Potentially, yeah. And, and Brett was like, it's going to work. I'm telling you. And I'm so fucking happy for him yeah. that after all this shit that's happened – that he's still standing because he deserves it. He's a he's he he doesn't get enough credit for being. I know that people want to pick on certain like in game decisions and things like that, and there are times when that's fair. But he doesn't get nearly enough credit for the shit that you don't see, which is. And I know that it's like a super gray, nebulous word to say culture, but it's true. Like if you go to an organization like like fit matters, right? Like certain players might not succeed in certain situations if the environment's not good. If you go to Orlando and you're mm-hmm. like fuck. Or you go to Phoenix and you know, like you're Eric Bledsoe and you're and you're making up excuses about going to the hair salon yeah. because you don't want to be there. There's I mean, been plenty of Terry Rozier types to not succeed in the NBA. Exactly. But with the Sixers, you've got a guy who was like, okay, I came from the Spurs system. I know what culture, ma- why this matters. Yeah. We're gonna have good humans here, and we're gonna like do things a certain way. And he's very much responsible for that. He's been the common thread throughout this whole thing. And good for him. I'm happy for him. If if you think that, at what point will the Sixers? Because if they're weighing, like, are you sleeping over tonight? Is this going to <laughs> this be one I'm, of those? I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping marathon, up. Marathon, like you I know, said, like, three hours. We're know. an hour and forty five. This is fine. <laughs> this is is this the longest rookie in history? No, no, no. We got Jesus of time. Christ. Uh, <laughs> this is like twelve heat checks. <laughs> if you're at what point do they have to do they have to accept the fact that like because the draft is before free agency and some people think that that's a bad idea. Whatever it is, right? If but the fact is that it is before it, and you have to decide, all right, if we do go get Chandler Parsons and Luka Doncic, <laughs> what, 
we were saying we're, we're we're out from LeBron and Paul George and those guys and Kawhi. How? I guess maybe you could still get Kawhi if the salaries match up. But how? How do you like? That's a tough decision to make, and it's especially a tough decision to make without a general manager. It's yes, it's difficult to make any decisions without a general manager. I, I it's it's a critical time. And it's where to put your eggs in, the, in that basket. Which, I, which basket yeah. you can go all in Yeah, on and this is philosophically why you'd want to have one guy as your point person, right? Like, I think that if you and I and Spike and Danny sat down at a table together. Sounds fun. Uh, sounds fun. Three of us are already in a fantasy league together. Mm-hmm. Shouts to the executive league. Uh, but if we sat down and, like, really talked about, like, how do we think about value added and, like, what do we think about these players? We could probably come to an accord, but that would be different. That you're, you're shrugging at me, right? That would include Spike being involved in that sadly, process. Sadly, that would include. He's Spike. a fucking maniac. Um, but it'd probably be better if we had one point person and the rest of us were like, yeah, you know, lieutenants, right? Can, I mean, can I be the point person? You could be in this scenario. You could be the point person. Right, this is your. You already were the point person. You did this whole podcast. <laughs> it's very impressive. Gut feel. Uh, do the Sixers move up in the draft? Uh, I mean, you hear, like we said at the beginning of the, the podcast, you hear a lot of things and we've all heard like, Hey, maybe they are interested in moving up. Mm-hmm. I think generally, uh, four things to happen is harder than four things not to happen. And yeah. it's easier for it. It's, there's a higher percentage chance that they just pick a 10. I'll put it that way. You don't trust uh traditional newsbreaker, David Griffin. I love Griff. The move. I think Griff is like, people love Griff in the league. Griff talks to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would just cavalierly throw that out uh, and be like, I'm going to make up some shit. Sure. That, that's not him. He's a good dude. Uh, he's a plugged in dude. How true that is, though, what kind of information and why he's getting that information, everybody's talking right now, and you always have to wonder why. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why. If the Sixers take McCall at 10. Mm-hmm. Move, You'll be happy. I'll be happy. Move move Bayless and 26 for like a trade exception and a future pick. Mm-hmm. And then take one interesting second rounder, sell another one for cash, and take two uh, international Draft guys that they stash. stash. Right. They go into free agency. They need something. That's the scenario where they need something. That's the scenario where they haven't moved the needle and they're, they're behind the Celtics because the Celtics are going to add two superstars. To their team for nothing, so they need something, do, and I don't know what that something is. Do you think LeBron? Do you think they get LeBron or or Paul George? Um, I think it's more likely that LeBron goes to LA and that potentially Paul George goes to LA than LeBron ends up or Paul George ends up in Philly. But it's not a zero percent chance. If you had asked me this question a year ago, I would have been like, "What the fuck are we talking about? Nobody's right. coming to Philly." Now it's a real conversation this is a genuine legitimate conversation i think that there are more likely scenarios Mm -hmm. but it is a scenario and that's something so you're saying there's a chance even the conversation even the idea that the sixers would get meetings whoever takes those meetings whatever gmless suit takes those meetings (laughs) the the empty 511 chair yes that they previously used for the draft workouts (laughs) is now handling the gm duties absolutely uh that does mean, even as we're talking about this and stressing over who they get or who they could get, whatever, just the idea that the Sixers are in conversations for those meetings, doesn't that mean that the process worked? You, you were right. We were right, right? That's the conversation. That's right. Well, happened. on that note, we will mercifully let John Gonzalez go to bed. Uh, you can read his stuff on 
TheRinger.com. Listen to the podcast. Heat check on The Ringer NBA show. John, thanks for joining us. Are you? This is the part where oh, I do you say, want to do or it? do you do it? Like, which role am I playing now? You're Spike. I'm going to say. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you, John. Are you down with TTP? I'm going to very Mike Levin voice. Yeah, you know the case. We are the murderous pair. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Bumpers and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile to talk.